heard a great joke this week. What is green and talks? A talking frog. At the end of the book of Matthew, Jesus gives what's known and famously known now as the Great Commission, where he says this, and it's much more than this, but he says this, go and make disciples of all nations. And then in, in the book of Acts, chapter 1 and verse 8, he, he kind of, he, he adds to it, speaking, and these are like the very last words of Jesus before he ascends up into heaven to his disciples. He says, you will be my messengers to Jerusalem, throughout Judea, the distant provinces, and even to the remotest, most remote places on earth. So this, this great commission, this is the overarching mission of the entire church. Not just like one church or, or, or a little local church expression, but over the capital C church, his church, this is the mission that we have. Now underneath the mission for, for every church. Now, whatever church you, you go to, whether it's just church or you visit another church, you know, they may have a different expression of how they fulfill that commission, but the commission never changes. We are to be his messengers on the earth, and we are to make disciples of all nations. So this is the, the, the overarching mission of the church. And most of us receive uh, assignments underneath that. Not, excuse me, not most of us. We all receive assignments underneath that, that commission. And everybody's assignment is a little bit different. Most of us receive assignments that are local. It's a local assignment. This would be like in, in the verse we read to a Jerusalem or a Ju to a Judea, right? We don't all receive the assignment to go to the most remote places on earth. If we all receive the assignment to go to the most remote places on earth, then who would reach the people in your neighborhood? Who would reach your friends, your coworkers? I don't know, because we'd all be gone, right? So we don't all receive the assignment to go to far off distant places. Missionaries are those that receive that call, and this is what we've come to know, to know them as. Missionaries are the ones that receive that call to go and to go off, generally speaking, to far off places, although you do see missionaries that are sent local. I've got a friend, his name is John, uh, John Bass. He lives uh, in San Diego, and he is a missionary to the Native Americans of California, right? So he's, he's you know, like a local missionary, but he is sent to a people that's not his own, and generally speaking, that's how missionaries are kind of defined. They are sent to a people and to a place that is not their own, not where they're from, not what they've known, not where they grew up. But that is not everyone's assignment. But everyone, all of us, can empower those with the assignment to go. And when they do this, right, when we empower those to go, then they become our extended hands in those places where we are not. Our reach and our influence and our impact is not limited to where you live, to where you work, to where you attend church. You can reach around the world through the support of those who have received the assignment to go. A few weeks back, I met up with a missionary 
He's a local guy, grew up in California, but he's now a missionary to the Philippines. It's the first time that we'd met. I'd never met him before. And, you know, as, as, as pastor in a church, we regularly receive phone calls from missionaries who are, who are wondering, like, hey, do you have room, you know, uh, extra finances that, that you might be able to support us in our mission? So they'll, they'll want to sit down, they'll want to meet, meet me, and, and they'll want to talk, share what it is that they're doing. So it's the first time that I met with this guy. Um, and we're sitting in, in Starbucks and we're, we're talking and I'm asking him about his journey. How, you know, how did you get to the Philippines? And he was talking about, you know, how he was in youth ministry in, in California and, and felt this draw, this call. And so he walked away from that to begin to pursue, you know, full-time missions work in the Philippines. And he was asking me about my story and how I came to La Mesa. And so I was talking about how we're, you know, my family and I were from Canada. And, uh, you know, so we, we kind of wrapped up our meeting. And as I, as, as I was leaving, he said this to me. And he kind of, it took, it took me back. I took a step back and I really didn't know how to respond in the moment. But he says, thank you for being a missionary to my people. And I, it, it took me back because I don't consider my family and I, I don't, I don't consider us missionaries. Although technically we've been called to a place that's not our own, not our home. But being so closely connected, Canada and America, we speak the same language. I've never really considered ourselves missionaries. But there was a time before we moved back to San Diego in a worship service where I was, I was laying on the floor in worship service before the Lord. And I had my eyes closed and I was just lost in this encounter with God. And in, in my mind's eye as I was laying there, I saw this red hot branding iron begin to, to approach my chest. And it was in the shape of California. And God, God placed that on my heart. And he said to me as he's branding my heart with the shape of California, he says, I've marked you for California. You know, typically missionaries, they, they don't, um, they're, not, um, they're not employed where they go. They, they raise their support. They, they're, they're, not, uh, they're, they're self-supporting. They raise their support through, uh, through donors, family members, or friends, or, or churches to be able to accomplish their assignment that God has given them. We've got missionaries that work with us. Joel and Kaylee are, are missionaries. They have raised their own support from churches, from family members, from friends, in order to, to come and to be here with us. I, I'm, I'm employed by the church. Joel and Kaylee are not. They receive donations and support so that they can do the work that they have been called to do to fulfill and follow the call of Jesus on their lives. Their supporters either A, don't feel called to come to Southern California. I don't know who isn't called to come to Southern California. And I speak this out as I know that there are many who are leaving and I'm like, okay, you go follow Jesus there, but praise the Lord, I'm still called here. This, this is, I, I truly believe that this is it. I will die in this place. This is home. So their supporters either don't feel called to Southern California or they're not able to come. And so, but through their support, through supporting Joel and Kaylee, they are able to have impact here. And so the, the harvest and the things that Joel and Kaylee do is the fruit of their supporters. They have harvest in that, even though they're not here, they might not ever meet any of us or meet the people that Joel and Kaylee minister to. See, many times missionaries raise their own support because they're going to places that are either impoverished 
or because they have visa limitations. You can't just move to, you can't, you can't just pick a place, a country on the map and be like, I'm going to move my family here to this country because you've got visa limitations. There were many times when, when our children were very young, you know, maybe three and, and an infant, you know, Josiah would have been three, Faith would have been an infant, where, where uh, Renee would say to me often, we should just pack up and move to California. Like, like literally at least twice a month. We should just pack up and move to California. I mean, like, I would love to just pack up and move to California, but it doesn't work that way. You need a visa. You need an invitation. You need a job. You need you know, all, all of this stuff. And so missionaries raise their own support. It helps them to get into places where the doors would not normally have been open for them. You know, most places are, are a little bit more open to having you come and live in their country if you're not pulling from resources and taking jobs away from nationals, right? Paul, the Apostle Paul had supporters as he traveled across what is now known as the Middle East and Southern Europe. The best example that we've got of, you know, from Scripture of, of a church that, that supported Paul is the book of Philippians. So if you've got your Bible, you can turn to the book of Philippians. We'll be kind of working our way through, through there. Paul is writing a letter to the church in Philippi that we now read as the, you know, the Philippian church. This is the letter to the, to the Philippians. And this is a church that Paul started. Paul went to Philippi. He started, he planted this church. He established leaders. And then he carried on on his missionary journeys to, to start more churches and to, to reach more people. And Paul, throughout his letter to the Philippians, refers to the support that they gave him. See, the church extended their hands to Paul in support of his ministry so that he, in turn, could be their extended hands in ministry to people that they otherwise would not have been able to reach or to minister to or to love on. We find three ways that we can extend our hands to support missionaries through the book of Philippians. And the first one is through prayer. It's in Philippians chapter 1 and verse uh, number 19. Philippians chapter 1 and verse 19. And it reads, I know that this will turn out for my deliverance through your prayers and the provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. So Paul is writing this letter from prison where he's being held because he's a follower of Jesus and because he was preaching that Jesus is the only way to salvation. So he got arrested and he was sitting in prison. And he speaks of their prayers as being key for him in his deliverance. Now this is a faith statement because there's nothing in the book of Philippians that says his release is imminent. But he's believing that his deliverance is coming and that their prayers for him is key in his deliverance. There's something that can only be felt and experienced when people are praying for you. It can't really be explained. You might not know by name and by fact that, you know, that, that this person is praying for you in this situation. But you feel it in your feeler. And you know it in your knower. Even though you don't actually know by fact that someone is praying for you in the moment. There's a sense that you have that can only be experienced when people are praying for you. You feel covered and you, don't, you feel like you're not alone even though physically you might, you might be alone. Somehow you know that you're not. See, prayer ushers in the presence of God into someone's life and into someone's situation. There have been countless times 
in my life where I felt the prayers of people who were praying for me without actually knowing the names of people who were praying for me in that moment. And then through phone calls or text messages, sometimes days or weeks later, they'd, they'd reach out and be like, hey, I've been praying for you. What's, what's going on? I'm like, man, I knew it. I knew there were people who were calling my name out before the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords because I could feel it. I heard a story one time from a missionary. A missionary I was listening to, to talk was telling this story. He was a missionary to Africa. And he told the story of how he was going from where he, where he was set up, so his, his base, where he was you know, mainly um, where he was living. And he was taking a long journey through the jungle to another remote village. And it took a couple days to get there. And so he had to spend a night alone in the jungle. And so he, he, he traveled all day, spent the night by himself in the jungle with a campfire, and then got up in the morning, and then he traveled the rest of the way to the village. When he got to the village, a little while later, this, ma this man runs up to him, and he says to him, where are the men that you're traveling with? And the missionary looked very confused. He's like, I don't, I don't understand what you're talking about. I'm, I'm traveling alone. He goes, no, 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 you don't understand. I've been following you. I've been following you through the jungle and I was waiting for the right moment, the right opportunity so that I could rob you and I could take all of your stuff. And last night in the middle of the night when you were asleep around your campfire, he said, that was my time. And I approached your camp and as I got close, there were 12 giant men standing around you while you slept. And he goes, I don't understand. I, I can't explain it. I'm traveling alone. I came alone and I'll go home alone. And he did his ministry in that, in that village and he traveled back to his base. And when he got back to his base, he opened up his email. And in his email was an email from a man that attended a church that supported him in his missions to Africa. And it says, it tells a story wondering how, how the missionary was doing. And he says, I've been praying for you. In fact, there was a specific date and time when I felt impressed that I needed to pray for you. And so I gathered some people together in the church and we began to pray for you. And it was the exact time that that man was trying to rob the missionary. And there were 12 people praying in the room. Missionaries need our prayer covering. The Philippians extended their, their hands to Paul through prayer. And they also extended their hands to Paul through encouragement. Turn to chapter 2. In the, in the same book, chapter 2, verses 25 and 30. And it says this. But I thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, who is also your messenger and minister to my need. Because he came close to death for the work of Christ, this is verse 30, risking his life to complete what was deficient in your service to me. The Philippians had sent Epaphroditus, who was a member of their church. He was from Philippi. That was his home church. And they sent him on a, 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 a short-term mission to Paul. This wasn't a full-time missionary assignment where he wasn't coming back and he was going to be stationed, stationed there with Paul. But it was just a short-term assignment. He had a specific assignment that he was supposed to accomplish. And it was to minister to the needs of Paul in a way that the rest of the church couldn't minister to him because of distance, because they were separated by, by distance. Epaphroditus was sent on what we would call now a short-term missions trip. 
Right? The same way we've sent out teams from our church. We've sent out teams to the Czech Republic. We've sent out teams to, um, to, to Mexico. We've sent people to Africa and to Romania on specific assignments. And I want you to think about Paul writing this letter. He's in prison. And the encouragement that Epaphroditus would have been to him as Paul sat in prison that the Philippians sent him to minister to his needs so he didn't have to think about certain things and he could carry on the work that, that, that God had called him to. Every single time I have ever led a team on a short-term missions trip, the ministry leader that we were working with or the pastor that we were working with always talks about the encouragement that they feel when the team leaves how they feel strengthened and encouraged to continue on the work that they've been called to do. I remember during one trip specifically, we were, we were praying. It was, we had a, had a prayer meeting, and we were praying for some ministry things that we had coming up throughout the rest of the trip. And the pastor, partway through, he stopped, and he said, could you guys, could you pray for me? I feel so discouraged. I feel so down and I feel so lost and alone. And I said, absolutely. And I grabbed a chair and I put it in the middle of the room. I said, Pastor, here, sit down here. And our team gathered around him and laid hands on him and began to pray over him, began to minister to his spirit, minister the love of Jesus on him. They began to prophesy over him and speak into his life. And we just took time to minister and love on him. We wrapped up the, the prayer meeting. We went on through the rest of the week, saw, saw God do some incredible things. And at the very end, he said, you, you don't even understand how much this means to me that you would come and that you would, you would work with me and that you would come to help me and the work that I'm doing. I feel so encouraged. I feel so strengthened because you guys came and ministered to me. Missionaries far away from their friends, far away from their family members. They're in a culture that's not their own. They're speaking a language or learning a language that's not their own. And if you've ever talked to someone that's moved to America and they're, 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 they're using English as a second language, you know how sometimes it's a struggle for them. And these are missionaries. This is, this is their life, ministering in a language that's not their own. They face struggles that we couldn't possibly understand. So seeing people from their culture, from their country, even their church even, can bring encouragement so that they can carry on with the assignment that they've been given. Family, sometimes ministry is lonely. In America, sometimes ministry is lonely. You compound that loneliness when you take yourself out of your context, what you're used to, and placed into a foreign nation. One missionary that I met with talked to me about, he was talking about uh, teams that would come to, to where he was and would work with them for a week or 10 days or, or, or two weeks. He was talking about how it's so encouraging, but then he spoke specifically of what it meant to his children. Sometimes we forget that when we see pictures of missionaries, that there's families there, that they have little children there, and sometimes they're teenagers. I mean, seriously, could you imagine being 15 years old and then your parents are like, hey, we've been working all this time and we're now uh, moving to Turkey. You're 15. What are you, you going to say, no? 
right? You're leaving everything that you know, all of your friends, all of the, the security and the comfort, you're leaving it all behind at such a critical, crucial age. And so this missionary talked to me about how his children were so encouraged when they would welcome teams into their home. He said, oftentimes, I mean, we wouldn't put them up in hotels. We would just let them stay with us because we wanted them near us. My kids are so encouraged to have people come from their culture and their context. It's a little bit of home in a foreign place. See, we extend our hands to missionaries when we go and we take short-term missions trips and we work with them and we help them. And the final way that we see that the Philippians extended their hands to Paul was through finances. Look at chapter 4, verse 10, and in uh, 15 and 16. In verse 10 it reads, But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at last you have revived your concern for me, Indeed, you were concerned before, but you lacked opportunity. And Paul is talking a little bit cryptic. Concern is finances, that you revived your financial support for me. He says, you yourselves also know, verse 15, Philippians, that at the first preaching of the gospel after I left Macedonia, where they are, that's their church, no church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, but you alone. For even in Thessalonica, you sent a gift more than once for my needs. The church in Philippi was one of Paul's main financial supporters and at times his only financial support. I mean, we all know you need money to live. That's just the way the world works. Whether you live in a cash society or a barter society, you need finances, you need resources to live. You need money to do ministry. Literally, it doesn't matter what, what country you find yourself in, you need money to do ministry. You need money to get back home. I mean, that's the way that we do it now. I mean, there was a time, you know, like in the Azusa Street Revival, where they would send missionaries off, and that's it. They were gone. Like, they just never came home. They were going and giving their life. They left it all. But now, we, we don't do that because it's generally a little discouraging trying to get new missionaries to go to places if we're like, hey, when you get there, that's it. You're not coming back. Right? So they need money to get back home. Missionaries need finances to operate their ministry the same way that we as a church need finances to, to function here, to operate as a church. Except they don't have the luxury of having a congregation to receive tithes and offerings from. Right? They rely on us. They rely on you guys to financially support them and make possible the ministry that God has called them to. I'm, I'm sure if I sat down and I talked to each one of you, we, would all, we all understand the stress of not having enough money to pay your bills. It's no different for missionaries. In fact, it might be a little bit more stressful. Could you imagine, you know, being a missionary to Iraq and running out of money? Like the stress that you're feeling. It's not like you can just go around the corner and I'm just going to pick up a job washing dishes at the local restaurant. It, no, it doesn't matter. You can't just go out and get a job. I got some pictures that I want to show you on the screen. So you can go ahead and go to the, there we go. These are these are pictures of our missionaries. Family, you might not realize this, but we've got 20 missionaries that we support on a monthly basis. And they work from everywhere from different places in America to Europe to Asia to South America. We have sent and we empower and we support these missionaries. You may not have ever even realized that we do this. Some of our missionaries, you, you would know, right? If you've been around for a few years, they're friends of the house, like Sean Smith. He's an evangelist that works on, on, on university campuses, does open-air preaching, right? We support him. Like Brian Orm, 
Jeff Duvall, who we went and we went with his ministry and we built a house in Mexico, right? And others that, there's, that actually grew up in this church a couple of years. It's been, it's been about two years since Mike Files has been with us. Mike Files grew up in this church, running around in this church, went to Sunday school in this church, and youth group in this church. And he's now, he's now mid-60s, missionary to Chile for his entire life raised up in this church. We've been supporting him the entire time he's been there. Again, there's, there's no way for you guys to know this if I don't tell you, but we, we have committed $28,000 to our 20 missionaries for next year. That's our financial commitment to them. The commitment doesn't change upon how many people sit in the seats, how well we're doing financially. We made a commitment to them and we fulfill that commitment by money that comes in specifically designated to missions. It doesn't come from our general fund or general ties and offerings and things like that. But when you mark and you give and you mark missions, it goes straight to them. We don't take a cut of that. It goes directly to them. I want to tell you about a lady in our church. Her name is Marie. Marie's been attending here since 1956. But there's maybe only two of us that have, that have met her that are still here. Two or three. Lacey, have you met Marie? Yeah, yeah. So there's, there's like three of us that have met Marie. So I'm getting a little choked up because I, she hasn't been able to come to church for many years because she no longer drives. Now if she goes to church, now one of her sons picks her up and he, his, her son takes her to his church but she still says cross points my home that's my church every time i call her i always i always end up telling her maria i'm calling to encourage you to check on you and see how you're doing but you always bless me so much she's just an incredible woman of god i had hoped my plan was to actually have marie i was going to ask her if she could come today if there's any way that her family could bring her because i wanted to honor her She's not able to be here because of health reasons. She's in her 90s. She's in her 90s and she goes to work every day. Like, I'm not even kidding. She's got health struggles and she's not able to get to the office. So she says, I tell my son, he's got to bring me my work so that I can, I can do my work. It's very important for me. But she has been faithfully given, giving to missions through Crosspoint for over four decades. And that's why I wanted to have her come just so that we could love on her and honor her. And I'm, I'm hopeful that I, can, that I can make it happen. I talked with Marie this past week. I usually give her a call a couple times a week. Um, and I asked her, I said, Marie, can I ask you a few questions? And she said, sure. She's spunky. Let me tell you this. I called her and I was talking to her. I don't like holding my phone to my face. It's, I, like, it's, I know it's weird. So when I if I talk to you on the phone, guaranteed you're either on speakerphone um, or I've got my AirPods in. Right? And so I was talking to her on my AirPods, and she's, she said, I'm sorry, I don't, I don't understand you. And so I was, I was repeating who I was. You know, hi, Marie, this is Pastor Craig Osborne calling from Crosspoint. She goes, I'm sorry, I don't understand you. And so I raised my voice thinking that she couldn't hear me, and she goes, don't yell at me. I didn't say I couldn't hear you. I said, I don't understand what you're saying. I said, I'm sorry, Marie. <laughs> she's spunky. But I asked her, I said, why do you give to missions each month? And she said, over 20 years ago, I promised God that I would give a specific amount to missions every single month 
as long as my income never changed. And it never has. She made that commitment when she was in her early 70s. And so I said to her, I said, so you've been given to missions for, for over 20 years. She goes, oh, no, 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 no. It's been much longer than that. She said, I was giving to missions since way before my husband passed away 37 years ago. So I said, why? Marie, why do you give to missions? Why are you so faithful? She says, because I can't go. And when you can't go, you can at least help someone else go. Marie might not have physically gone to the mission field, but she has been around the world and she has touched people for Jesus that she won't ever see as long as she's on this side of eternity. But you can guarantee when she breathes her last here, there is a multitude that will welcome her home and thank her for how she gave for over four decades. Giving to missions is touching the nations for Jesus without ever leaving home. I'd love for every one of us to pick up the missions-giving mantle of Marie. And listen, it's not about giving this big, extravagant, one-time gift, although we don't say no to those. But it's about committing to give weekly or monthly, regularly, consistent giving. Maybe it's $10 a week or it's, or it's $30 a month or whatever it is, but it's this regular, consistent giving. Now listen, you might be sitting there thinking, Craig, I'm barely making it by as it is. How on earth am I ever going to find a way to give more than what I already am and give it to missions? I want you to watch this video. Turn it up just a little bit more. People would kick you in the face or step on you or pull step on you and everything, try to set you on fire. Um, a lot of times they didn't have, have uh, money and everything, so I ate out of garbage cans and stuff like that. I turned my back on God. Um, I just, I settled to the fact that I was an alcoholic and a drug addict and that's all I would ever be. Homeless people are uh, just like anybody else, just been, been knocked down one too many times and have ceased to try to get up. And uh, there's a lot of defeat out here, a lot of uh, discouragement, a lot of uh, despair. But they're really, they're, they're like diamonds in the rough. And uh, our job is to mine it out, and that's what we're doing. And that's why, because it's, it's valuable. Uh, the Lord just called me and spoke to me and said, I want you to quit your church here, uh, resign this church, and, uh, and go start the homeless church. That was the call. I talked to Pastor Evan, and the first thing I said was, I would really like to come and talk and share my heart with the church and just be able to share my heart and what God's going to be doing in the Dominican Republic. So I said, well, look, uh, LaDawn, I would love to, but uh, we really don't have any money. She said, well, I want to come anyway. And he was like, well, I know you're a missionary. Are you sure you want to come? Because the homeless, this is a real homeless church. It's a literal translation. And I was like, well, I know, but I would love to come and just share my heart. 
It was wonderful what happened when she arrived. It was a move of God that has uh, affected our church ever since. Um, I say we have among us a missionary, young missionary in training, going to the Dominican Republic, and her name is LaDawn, and she wants to, to talk to you. My wife thought maybe you guys could uh, bring in some cans, and we'll turn them in and send her some, some recycling money. A couple people went up and gave an offering, and at that moment, both the pastor started crying and I started crying. And after they received the offering, he gave a challenge to everybody to start that they as a church could actually support me monthly by collecting cans. I started crying just knowing that they were giving their everything and challenged me to give my everything and what God's called me to do. I, I think it's great that we're giving money to the missionary because a lot of us already have what we need. Like, like I say, each day God makes sure I'm fed. I woke up this morning broke, I still am. I might have two or three pennies in my pocket. And here I am eating. Oh, it's good that you know, that we're, that, that we're able to give money to the missionaries so they can reach people who don't have what we have. I live on the streets of San Francisco and, and you know, all the money I got, I, I share with the missions and, and people on the street because what we got, it ain't gonna do us no good on the street. We ain't got nowhere to go. We ain't got nowhere to spend it for ourselves. We believe in uh, giving away to missions and, uh, and helping spread the word, helping spread the gospel through the mission work. And the Lord has kept us blessed all along, so uh, we have no worries in the Lord. If there's a lesson here for the American church about this missions giving and how it's affected this little church, for one thing, that is God loves missions. And if we start giving to missions, God's going to bless. And the Spirit of the Lord has been so thick upon this little church out there um, uh, on the street in His presence. So something has broken and it's very, very different now. LaDawn is the daughter of Delon Rance, a missionary to Latin America that we support, and we've supported them for many, many years. She grew up on the mission field, and now she's a missionary to the Dominican Republic. We can all do something. This is what, as I, as I wrap up today, I've only got a couple moments left. I want you to take your phone out. I want everyone to take out your phone. I don't want you to text. I want you to text missions to 619-464-3077. If you're watching online, I want you to do the same thing. As I shared, we've got We've committed $28,000 to raise support for our missionaries in 2022 for next year. And I want to challenge all of us, each one of us, to commit to giving regularly towards that missions goal. So when you text that keyword missions to that phone number, which is our church phone number, when you text that keyword, you're going to receive a link to a pledge. And this a, a pledge is basically it's just a faith promise between you and God. When you're saying, God, I'm going to give X amount next year, this year, like in the next 12 months, to missions. And that's, listen, it's between you and God. We're not going to call you and, you know, it, you know, after 11 months and be like, oh, geez, you know, Sister Renee, you only gave $10. You promised to give $10. Like, you owe us a little bit of money here, right? We're not following up on it. This is between you and God. This is between you, you and the Lord. But the challenge is to give regularly, consistent giving. 
you know, whether it's, whether it's $5 a week or $50 a paycheck, you know, it doesn't matter. Because we're not, you know, as if you remember when, when Renee spoke a few weeks ago, it's not, it's not about equal giving. It's about equal sacrifice. We all can't give the same amounts. That's just the way life is. But we can all sacrifice the same. And so when you, if you decide, okay, I, I can give, you know, this amount each week or this amount each paycheck, I just want you to, I'm sorry, you got to do a little bit of math, work that out for the entire year, and that's your pledge amount. I just need to want to make sure that you make that that's clear. When you pledge an amount, it's for the entire year. It's not, it doesn't work that it's like, hey, $10 a week. You've got to kind of do a little bit of math. Okay, and then you, you set that. Now, you might be thinking like, well, you know what? I've tried to do this before, and I just end up forgetting. Let me help you. PushPay, which is the one, that's, that's our, our giving app that's sending out that, that, uh, that pledge link. They will allow you to set up a reoccurring gift amount, you know, and you can do that for missions. And so you can set it up, the, the frequency that you'd like to, and that way you can set it and forget it, knowing that on a consistent, regular basis, you're giving to missions and you are touching the world for Jesus. You are empowering those who have the assignment to go so that they can go and they can reach the world for Jesus. Talking to people and touching people that we will never see. And chances are we will never step foot on the soil where they're called to go. And that's okay. Because I can empower them to do that so that they can fulfill their assignment. And then you, you know, in the app, it'll track your pledge amounts and every time you give in the fund regularly if, you, if you're familiar with our giving we've got a regular one that says missions i've added a new one that just says missions 2022 because when you pledge it, they go to the same thing but when you give to missions 2022 it counts towards your pledge so if you pledge to give 500 dollars over the year every time that you give some amount it calculates and tells you how much more you have to go and so you can track it all on your own and like i said no one's gonna call you and, and check up on you this is between you and jesus but you can be sure i can as much as I know that Jesus Christ is the God of the Bible, if you pledge and promise to give a specific amount, I know that God will empower you to give what you've committed to give when it's time to give it. It's not a trite Christian saying. It's truth that you cannot outgive God. It is absolutely impossible. We have extended our hands in support to our missionaries, these 20 missionaries. And we support them through prayer, through encouragement, and through our finances. As we've been working our way through this series called Open-Handed, Living Generously, this is part of it, extending our hands in support of people who are going on our behalf. Let me pray. Holy Spirit, I pray that you'd speak to us about what you would have us to give. I release freedom in this place. Freedom in this place. That no one is giving, uh, that no one would feel like they're being, um, uh, they're under compulsion or they're obligated to, to give, but God, that they would feel compelled to give by you, Holy Spirit, and that you would speak to them challenge each one of us about how much we should give to missions on a regular basis.
And God, I know that as we give, as we sow in, that we, 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 uh, we harvest reward that you give back to us. And so I pray that for every um, pledged faith promise that's made today, that you would empower every one of us to be able to meet that pledge promise in supporting our missionaries. And I pray, God, that you would open up doors of opportunity for us to go. God, that we would be able to go as, and send teams and, and go and encourage our missionaries and, and experience what it's like to be on the mission field and to, 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 to work with people that, that, that we can't understand their language and, and be used by you outside of our context, God, and make the world a little bit bigger than what it seems. God, that you would use us to encourage our missionaries. And God, I pray that you would drop them into our spirits when they need prayer and that we would be committed to praying for them as you prompt us to pray for them in prayer. And that we would be those spiritual giants standing around them like in the story, seeing them protected, encouraged, and provided for. In Jesus' name, amen.